Conveyancing Coffee Break, the bite-sized podcast for busy conveyancing professionals, brought to you by Lawshore Insurance. My name is Mandy Brown, and during these episodes, we'll be discussing topical and relevant issues and case studies on a whole raft of conveyancing subjects. everybody and welcome to another edition of Conveyancing Coffee Break with me Mandy Brown and Richard Snape. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're joined by a guest host Emma Shamoradian who's a lead conveyancer at Taylor Rose. So I'm really going to leave Emma and Richard to have a chat about the Building Safety Act. So over to you Richard and Emma. Yep, it's still the talking point at the moment. So we thought we'd have a sort of discussion about the Building Safety Act and uh, I think some various questions that people have been sending in. I'll do my best uh, to answer them. Although some things in the Building Safety Act are completely unanswerable. It's so badly drafted and ill-thought out and didn't go through scrutiny as it should do. And it's in danger of destroying leasehold conveyancing at the moment. But we'll do our best. And uh, I don't know if you want to start off with the questions, Emma. Yeah, thank you. I think, like you say, it is um, proving a bit of a headache at the moment for everybody who's dealing with conveyancing, leasehold conveyancing. We've got clients' queries coming in. We've got queries from managing agents, landlords. We've got lender lender requirements to contend with. So I think this will hopefully be really helpful to a lot of people, really. We've got a number of questions that have come in from colleagues and other people in the industry and the profession. So I think if we can go through a few of the points... I've got some queries here on mm-hmm. relevant buildings. So if we could just probably cut off maybe, you know, just a brief summary on what is a relevant building, what are the heights of the buildings that it's, fall under I mean, this act? We're getting a lot of questions on this. I mean, there's, there's various parts of the act. The act's huge. I mean, it's sort of 262 pages plus loads of regulations. And if you can't sleep at night, this is just for you. <laughs> but yeah. uh, it's uh, a, the thing that's causing the problems at the moment is part five of the act, which is the um, leaseholder protections, the service charge caps. Although there are other parts which might just start causing problems in the not too distant future. In England, I mean, one of the other problems we've got actually is in Wales. The, the legislation is in force in Wales, but they delegated to the Welsh government the ability to decide what the height of the building is, and they haven't said anything yet, so no one has a clue what's going on in Wales. There's enough mm. problems in places like Cardiff to last a lifetime. But in England, at least, a relevant building has got to have at least two dwellings in it, and it's got to be either, there's a lot of myths about this, either, well, it's got to be 11 metres in height, or five stories if it's less than 11 metres. And a lot of people, including Barclays, in the new part twos, the part twos and Barclays changed a week ago on March the 30th, but uh, seem to think it's just five stories. Most 11 metre high buildings are probably four stories. So it's much more sort of widespread than that. Did you have any specific questions about it? Because Yeah, I think that one of the main issues here is determining the height of the building and whose responsibility yeah. that is. Because conveyances obviously don't visit these properties and it's not within their remit to go out and start measuring buildings. We would assume that will be the responsibility of a surveyor. But of right. course, it's important to get it right. And I suppose that surveyors also don't want to take on that liability. So yeah, whose responsibility is it and uh, how can we verify that? I've got no doubt it's the surveyors. I don't think uh, anybody can expect the the conveyances to sort of don a high-vis jacket and a hard helmet and uh, put some scaffolding (laughs) up to the height of the building. It must be a surveyor, not necessarily a valuer, but it must be a surveyor. Surveyors have got the lasers that they can just measure the building. I'm not sure most lawyers Mm. are competent to do that. 
long term, there is something called the height of building data set, whereby they're supposed to, I don't know how accurate it is, but there's supposed to be various organizations setting up these sort of, where you can just sort of see what the height the building is. I did look at one actually this afternoon, and but they say it's uh, it's got a 0.5 uh, either way, meters either way margin of error, and it's 95% accurate. So I'm not sure I'd want to rely on that. It's got to be a surveyor. Is that online register then for buildings over a certain height to be registered? I'm talking about all seven stories, okay. less than 18 meters in height. If your client's buying in a property that's got more than seven stories and it's less than 18 metres in height, I think I should check their height before they move in because if they're too tall, they might scrape their head on the ceiling and they will probably do. <laughs> it's quite separate. It's in part four of the Act. It's the higher-risk residential buildings. Again, we've got the heights in England, but we're still waiting in Wales. Yeah, they have to be registered with a body called the Building Safety Regulator and you have to produce various information. And uh, it starts, we're on April the 5th, today it's uh, the registration starts on april the 6th and uh you've got until october to register a higher risk building with this regulator if it's not been registered by april the uh, sorry by october the 1st there's a criminal offense being committed by somebody called the accountable person person mm-hmm. who's got interest in possession and something a word of warning if it's a new build this is not new builds it's you know twelve and a half thousand blocks that qualify but if it's uh, a new build uh, or you're adding residential units, or you're doing work to convert to residential units, like converting an office block into flats. Nobody can go into possession, into residential possession, until you've seen the completion certificates, building control. You know, it'll be a criminal offence to allow it to happen. I can sense another change to the TA7s and LBE1s, and I can sense a new section to the lender's handbook around the corner to deal with that, unfortunately. I mean, you've got other problems. Do we have any other questions about that, actually? Some questions about um, the actual stories of the the building. Uh, would a loft conversion be considered an extra story for the purpose yeah. of this? Or so yes, it would. Or would we be specifically just looking then at the height in meters? I, there could be buildings with loft conversions that are you know not high enough. They're not eleven meters, but they've got five stories because one of the stories, stories. You could also yeah sort of make something suddenly you know higher risk potentially it doesn't include mm. stories with which are solely plant and machinery and uh it does include mixed use you know you're not necessarily talking about modern blocks and things you could be talking about big townhouse conversions in this legislation i think that proves i think there was another question specifically on that actually with an older building that has been converted then and new leases are granted out of it then the new leases themselves i mean we'll get onto this it kind of leads us on to the qualifying lease aspect and what actually is a qualifying lease under the act because if you take that example of an old building that's been converted and therefore new leases have been granted after the 14th February 2022, those leases wouldn't be considered to fall under the Act, as I understand. But the property itself being an old building might be one that actually would require remediation works. And so it seems as though, I don't know whether it's a gap or a loophole or, you know, just poor drafting of the legislation that hasn't considered those properties. Yeah, the truth of the matter is, Emma, that I remember talking about the Building Safety Bill before it received the, you know, early last year, early 2022, before February the 14th. And uh, at the last moment, it had been through the House of Commons and it almost got through the House of Lords. It received the Royal Assent on April the 28th last year. And they decided to change everything at the last moment and it had no scrutiny whatsoever. You know, the version that came in April the 28th, no relationship to what we thought was in early February. Mm. And that's the problem. 
Yeah, you've got yeah. to be a qualifying leaseholder, but bizarrely, as you mentioned, it's not the current uh, seller who has to be a qualifying leaseholder with a lease of more than 21 years. It's uh, the person who held the lease along lease on February the 14th, at the beginning of the day, just in case you moved house on February the 14th, move flat. But it's got to be on the beginning of the day, you know, one second past midnight on February the 14th, 2022. But Valentine's Day, it's a nice touch from Michael Gove, very romantic man, as his mad hand got. Man, you might want to scrub that. Uh, but uh, anyway, <laughs> if the lease wasn't in existence on February the 13th, 2022, then it doesn't qualify. And uh, that's a problem they didn't think about. If you add new residential units, uh, they don't qualify. And... Uh, the thing that's been a talking point over the last few weeks is that if you go through a lease extension, which obviously people have to do, it's commonplace with all these 99, year leases. You must have enough of that in London to keep you going. And if you go through a lease, yeah. it's a new lease. Yeah, it's one of the issues. Yeah, one of the issues we're seeing is whether or not we, uh, you know, what do we then advise the client? Because you've now got to factor in the fact that, yeah, surrender and regrant is going to create a new lease. And so even if the previous lease was uh, granted on or in existence on Valentine's Day, surrendering that and re-granting a new one is going to take the lease out of this act and therefore you leave clients vulnerable to um, not gaining the protections when it comes to remediation costs. So again, that's a difficult one to actually advise your clients on whether they do or don't and how that's actually going to affect the marketability of a property to a future buyer, a low lease or an unprotected lease. Yeah, I mean, lots of things are going to blight titles forevermore. You've got to discuss that with the clients. But obviously, if they get into a certain stage of left on the lease, they're not going to, you know, purchasers are not going to get a mortgage anyway, which massively affects marketability. That must be reformed. That was never intended. Um, mm. The strange thing about it is this idea you can always claim for your principal home, as long as it was the person's principal home on February the 14th. 2022 and not necessarily the current leaseholders you can claim for up to three dwellings you know it's like you can have up to three dwellings anywhere in the uk not just flats and not just in england but if you've got more than three you can only claim for your principal home if that happens to be one mm. of the flats it's absolutely bizarre mm. i mean you could have a situation yeah you know, and you know this is only a year and a couple of months since it came you know, since uh february the 14th 2022 you could have a situation where, you know, you've got somebody who's an investor with half a dozen flats up and down the country or dwellings up and down the country, own this particular flat. It's not their principal home. It's just an investor. They sell to somebody who's going to have it as their principal home. They don't qualify. And mm -hmm. the other way, you could have somebody who was their principal home on February the 14th, 2022, sells to an investor who's got 100 units up and down the country, and they do qualify. You'd like titles. Yeah. It skews the whole market. It's not just about the convention. Yeah. Bad enough though it is ridiculous. Mm. Yeah, that's one of the strange requirements here is exactly that that it's the person's status as at you know Valentine's Day 2022 that determines then the protection forevermore, it seems. So yeah. it's just an odd situation to base this whole legislation on because that can completely change. There were a few questions coming out about the relevant defects under the act and specifically what they are. Now, the legislation I understand does provide a description, but the point is, how do we know if the landlord serves a, a notice on a leaseholder, who is qualifying under the act? And they declare that there's been a relevant defect. Who's to say or dispute whether or not the actual works that are being required to be carried out are a relevant defect under the act? Because the description of it is so confusing in the legislation, I think. 
I think you're going to have a lot of litigation on that. I mean, this is a conveyance's nightmare. I suspect it's a property litigator's dream come true. Yeah. They um, basically it amounts to you know, sort of building work or conversions or renovation work as well done by, you know, not done, you know, work done or not done by the, the building, the builder, the contractor and so on, or the landlord or management company. But it's got to be either sort of in relation, it's going to be a building safety risk in relation to either fire spread, which is not just cladding, it's, you know, lack of fire equipment and fire breaks and that kind of stuff, or a structural collapse holding in part, you know, sort of um, structural matters. The guidance uh, that the government produced says, well, it wouldn't apply, for instance, to fair wear and tear or maintenance. So if it's just maintenance, it's not uh, fair wear and tear. I came across one in Harringay. It was a former council flat that had been bought under right to buy this early last year, a one, two, five year lease. And years later, they were billed for replacement of a roof. People were billed in their former council flat right to buy up to 115,000 quid. For their share of the replacement of the roof, wow. they're not going to be able to claim the benefit of this mm. uh, because it's, you know, it's presumably it's wear and tear. Well, you can have a lot of discussion as to whether it is wear and tear or not. The other strange thing, as you probably appreciate, is it goes back 30 years from the implementation date, which is June the 28th last year. Mm-hmm. Talked about defects back to June 92. So I think you're going to have a lot of issues in relation to that. Probably not for the conveyances so much. Yeah, at least. At least that's one thing we can sort of <laughs> we can avoid, I think. But the questions are certainly, I imagine, come through from clients, and it's one of those difficult uh, situations to understand exactly how to advise a client. And I suppose some of it will be uh, some of the views that firms are taking is that they aren't able to advise clients on that. But I suppose that's uh, down uh, to each individual firm's stance. I think that's probably a surveyor's job as well. I mean, they should be. Yeah. In- encouraged anyway to I mean the lender's handbook says that you should tell the client there are things that you know, might not show up in the valuation report your average client thinks the valuation report is for them and not mm-hmm. for the mortgagee and you've got to tell them that they should have a survey for these properties they can tell them what relevant defects are and right. for the lender's handbook okay so if we've got a leaseholder in a qualifying lease and in a relevant building the next thing to touch on I think would be these deeds of certificates that we have to obtain as conveyances now um, as part of the conveyancing process so the certificates themselves I think have thrown up a lot of questions so if we can sort of discuss those so we've got the leaseholders deed of certificate and the landlords and both are required when selling a property so the solicitor needs to obtain both I don't know if you could give us a brief overview just to sort of um, summarize the requirements what sort of things are contained in a leaseholder certificate and why the landlords is necessary the leaseholder deed of certificate is the easier of the two but the guidance from the government seems to suggest that leaseholders should fill it in themselves without any legal help. And I can't see that's going to be possible for most people. It basically, it provides information on February the 14th, 2022 again. They want to know, you know who the current leaseholder is and who was the leaseholder of different on February the 14th, 2022. You're supposed to get official copies so you can find out the value of the property on February the 14th, 2022, which is a task in itself. If the flats are worth less than 175,000 or 325,000 in London on February the 14th, 2022, you're not supposed to pay anything for your service charge. Yeah. Work. If it's a shared ownership, you have to provide details of the ship. You have to provide the shared ownership lease and find out what the share was on February the 14th, 2022. Mm-hmm. And um, I say as time goes on, more and more issues in relation to it. If the on request from the landlord, the leaseholder doesn't provide the leaseholder's deed of certificate, 
within eight weeks, they could ask for a four-week extension, then you can't gain the benefit of any of the caps at all. You know, you have to pay for full service charge liability and potentially there's a claim on against the conveyances on that. Loads of people have not been providing these sold the certificate. I can imagine that that's, it's only going to become more and more difficult, I would have thought, after more and more time passes since the 14th of February, it will be more and more difficult to get in touch with the owner at that time. That has been raised as well about if the person who owned the property at 14th of February 2022 is an executor, how are they expected to provide a leaseholder certificate if they don't have the knowledge of the property at that time? Yeah, it's more fundamental than that, actually. The other thing I should have mentioned in the leasehold dealer certificate is if you're claiming to own less than two properties or two or fewer, two or less properties, you're supposed to produce evidence. Or you're also supposed to produce evidence that the person on February of 14th, 2022 owned fewer than two properties. If at least all the dealer certificate wasn't produced, you know, in a previous sale, well, the guidance says you're supposed to contact the previous owners. I don't know what planet they're living on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Points, uh, you know, it could be several down the line, quite honestly. The executive point, loads of people have asked me about this. It's not just the fact that I think any executive is going to have difficulties with the leaseholder deed of certificate, even here and now today. You can always claim if it's your principal home, that flat, on February the 14th, 2022. But supposing the person it was their principal home, they died some weeks previously and it's now the executive's premises you know it's highly unlikely it's their principal home so they don't get the benefit of the the caps what if somebody's in long-term care you know is it their principal home Mm. am i right in thinking that's not even really you know it's not really touched upon is it in the legislation i mean as an example i haven't seen anything to actually account for that circumstance so kind of left you just have to be left you know advising the clients accordingly. I have never come across a piece of legislation that desperately needs amending like this does and rapidly before it messes everything else up. Mm. I'm sorry to say it, but uh, I think you've got to err on the side of caution. A landlord yeah. certificate is much more comprehensive than we sold a dealer certificate because you have to provide details of a landlord on February the 14th, 2022, any associated companies or where you've got mm. directors and you know different companies with the same directors and the likes. And you're supposed to produce uh, details certified by a chartered accountant or finance director of what their net worth was on February the 14th, mm. 2022 on the nearest set of accounts to that date. No, before that date. And some of the mortgagees seem to envisage that you should be checking those things. You're not accountants, mm. not surveyors, and we're not building engineers. Yeah. And the information is substantial as well. I mean, that you, you get provided with an overload of, of documentation that, yeah, we're not qualified to review and make sense of, to be honest. So it's an awful lot to have to look through. And I just don't think it's actually possible for us to comply with the requirements that the lenders need us to comply with in terms of these certificates where they some lenders and specifically, I won't say specifically, but some lenders, I think we all know who are requiring conveyances to verify the information that is provided within the certificates. Well, nation, um, for instance, and the mortgage works. Yeah. We're talking on April, we're recording this on April the 5th, um, and obviously, you know, part two's change. So, you know, do have a look yourselves, uh, having it on the grapevine nationwide or looking into it. But Barclays looked into it and it's hardly... You know, they changed a week ago at part two, and it's hardly better. And I don't think they understand the legislation. And what worries me is they can't even spell stories. They got stories <laughs> in their part two. So have a look. That <laughs> I don't know, no one's commented on that, which surprises me. Barclays and their new part two say we don't want to know about 
less than five stories. And the other strange thing is the lender's handbook doesn't distinguish between sort of 11 meters, five stories, and they seem to envisage they want landlord certificates and lease order deed certificate for everything. But as you quite right mm. today, nationwide say things like, uh, to the best of your knowledge, you've got to tell us if you have contrary information to the lease order's deeds as certificate or landlord certificate. And they also say that uh, if there's remediation work going to be done, but it's not been done yet. You've got to provide confirmation that the landlord's complied with all fire safety requirements. I don't mm. think you can report nationwide. I don't think you can give a certificate of title. No, I don't think so either. I think from uh, yeah, from sort of experience, we've had to, you know, you review the lender's requirements, you see just how difficult they are to deal with. And then I think it's a case of um, individual circumstances have to be reported to those lenders. What, what we're seeing is that they come back and seem to sort of give you a completely different response to what's actually uh, highlighted on the, the handbook itself as well, just to further sort of confuse matters. So it's sort of, a, well, why is it on there if you're not actually going to you yeah. know, insist on it? What, why are there requirements on the handbook if you're going to say something else? It's very confusing. I think they'll they'll have to change us. They may as well not lend on leaseholds. Yeah, I think so. Uh, mm-hmm. I think surely. Yeah, well, the press has come out, and um, like you say, I, I think it's just a case that you know there's been confusion, and there's you say they can't even spell stories correctly. I I just think that they are not aware of actually what the legislation is aiming to do, what properties it's it's actually intended to cover. And it just seems to be a sort of blanket guidance for leasehold properties that's not been well thought out. So I think it will change. I hope it will change. I think the mortgages will, will change. Barclays changed a bit, but they didn't change enough. I mean, Lloyd's Group, who... You know, large numbers of mortgages, obviously, you know, it's much more sort of relaxed in Lloyd's group with what they say in the part twos. And most mortgages haven't said anything in the part twos yet. So we'll have to see. I say, but look forward to 5.14.18, the lender's handbook on higher risk buildings. I'm sure that's going to happen soon. Like I said, it's the worst drafted piece of legislation I've ever come across. And it's the worst drafted and sort of most worrying legislation I've ever talked to uh, conveyances about. And that's from somebody who had to explain the additional dwelling surcharge in SDLT when it came in. They need to change it rapidly. And I don't think they will. Mm. And they need to ask conveyances about what to do before they bring it in. Perhaps the mortgagees could ask the conveyances about some of the problems as well. Emma, do you have any closing thoughts from a practitioner point of view? Yeah, we're really living in hope that it's going to be revised as soon as possible, I think, just to clear up the guidance and the requirements for everybody and to free firms from possible claims and difficult situations and also help the clients because for law firms obviously want to be able to take on um, these old transactions at the moment we're seeing a lot of people getting turned away so we're just really hoping that it does get revised and um, other options are possibly brought in to help us out and reduce the risk. Increasing numbers of firms are just not doing these sorts on more than three stories unfortunately if you're in Fulham you can't not you know you can't do that yeah I think the other thing is we'll see what happens to PI insurance in the autumn. Mm. So, but uh, be careful. Okay. Yep. okay, well, thanks a lot for that. And uh, well. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, Emma and Richard, for a really useful discussion. Until next time. You have been listening to another episode of Conveyancing Coffee Break 
the only podcast for busy convincing professionals. Brought to you by Lawshore Insurance Brokers, an award-winning UK provider of title insurance. For more information on our free conferences, go to www.lawshoreinsurance.co.uk where you can download recent conference recordings.